Hey, everybody. We have a, uh, a sponsor to talk to you guys about quick. We've had them on the show a few times. We've seen them at the Grid Life Paddocks for the past couple years. Uh, really good people and uh, really, really cool products and cars and services. So Fields Auto Works, uh, fun cars to drive and own, serious track performance, uh, a lot less hassle, cost, consumables. Um, they have uh, they make their own cars, and very cool stuff. If you haven't heard, listen back to the one with Rob Fields. We talk about a lot of the details of the Cardinal. Uh, extremely unique, affordable for the performance that you get. Like a, I don't know, it's probably like a fifth of the cost of a GT3 and runs about as fast as one. Uh, easy performance upgrades like wheels, tires, boost, tune, aero stuff, even engine swaps, I'm sure. Uh, three performance level offerings, the S300, the Cardinal, and the Scioto. Uh, which is gorgeous, by the way. That car is amazing looking. Um, opportunities for build spots uh, are limited, and uh, they are building cars right now. They've taken orders. Uh, we have seen one of the uh, earlier production ones at a bunch of Grid Life events. Really, really cool. The Cardinals got great vintage vibes, uh, modern Mustang underpinning, and uh, like probably half or less of the weight of, uh, of a modern Mustang. So your bearings, your hubs, your everything lasts a long time. Uh, and Fields Engineering, uh, full motorsports services are available. Shop services for large projects. Arrive and drive stuff uh, services for your own car or one of theirs. Uh, engineering, design, and small-scale fab work and production. Composites fab work. Um, and it puts the combined expertise of aerospace engineers, IndyCar builders, IMSA crew chiefs, and uh, more on their staff, on their crew, uh, at your fingertips, which is uh, hard to find and really, really great prep shop work. Uh, super cool people to have trackside, uh, and they let me steal their tools when I need them, which is great for me. So, so uh, uh, if you uh, if you want to check out FieldsAutoWorks.com, uh, really, really cool people. Welcome, everybody, to the Slip Angle Podcast. Uh, it's just Abe today, and I'm joined by uh, Alex Moss. It's a Saturday afternoon, and uh, we're one week post uh, Super Lap Battle at Coda. I'm back in my home office, and uh, I thought it would be uh, at a great opportunity to have Alex Moss on the show to talk a little bit about the work that he's done uh, along with ASM in the last couple of years since he's most recently been on the show. It's been a little while. And at the time, you had uh, talked about the swap that you were in the middle of and kind of working your way through. Uh, but 2022 has been kind of a breakthrough for you guys. So can you tell me about the iterations in the, in this case, the Turbo K-Swap S2000 with the DCT? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thanks for having me. Um, it has been a while since we spoke. I'm pretty sure... Um, the last time I was on the show was on the way back from um, Autobahn Country Club in 2020 um, when we were planning on taking the car down uh, for a month and doing the DCT swap and being ready for Alpine Horizon that same year, I think. Um, and yeah, that didn't happen. Um, and it turns out that was a really, really over-optimistic uh, thought about what we could get done um, in that time. 
Um, so since then, uh, at that time, the car was um, had K24, uh, which it still has. Uh, it had a Garrett G25 660 Turbo, which it still has. Um, had this completely stock drivetrain um, from Honda, which it, it no longer has, um, and basically the stock stock suspension package. Um, we ended up not doing... Actually, I think it had stock brakes still as well. I may have had stock brakes. I don't remember. Uh, we ended up not doing DCT in that that month. We kind of thought that maybe we'd need like six weeks rather than a month to, to take it down. So we postponed that to um, do at the end of the, the 2020 season. Um, and in that time, what we did end up doing was putting a big brake kit on the car. And also um, around that time... Or maybe maybe that was towards the end of the year as well that we did the the wise fab um, drop spindles and and um, aluminum mounds and all of that kind of stuff on the suspension. So the the drop spindles are interesting discussion because there is um, like a, a separation between uh, GTA and and uh, Gridlife on that particular subject. But the interesting thing um, about those drop spindles, especially on you know, S2000s that have been tracked a lot is um, spindles and things can fail on an S2000. And when they do, it's, it's kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we being the ASM team, we've had um, at least one rear spindle fail on Andy's car. Yeah, Blackhawk um, a few years ago, I remember. Yep. Yep. And then on my car, we've had two front um, knuckles fail as well. It's uh, not, it, which, not a good thing. Not ideal, no. Um, and, and part of that was from us being aggressive and, and putting um, some pretty beefy offset um, low ball joints on it that, that put a ton of leverage on there and, and ended up snapping it. Um, but so, so we ended up going um, with the drop spindles partially to solve that problem. Of, of snapping all that stuff and partially because it's you know it's another one of those things that we're allowed to do and and helps us out and gives us more performance right so um i, I don't remember if we talked super technically about how the uh the dct swap would be executed but uh tell me about um, like the, the different components that are necessary in order to get that system to work like, and, and certainly you've had to iterate. So can you help me, can you help me through kind of where you started and what you're learning in the process and where you are now? Yeah. Um, so the, the DCTs, it, it wasn't, um, a DCT swap that we were doing. We, um, and on that car at the time, we were breaking um, differentials pretty consistently with the, the amount of power and grip we were making. Uh, and we had started breaking stock transmissions as well. So what we were, what we were going into that with was we need to overhaul the, the whole drivetrain um, and make that more reliable for us. Um, and so we needed to replace the diff and we needed to replace the transmission. And so we went out looking for what are the best legal solutions we can do for that? Um, best being which one is going to, to work, be reliable, and frankly, perform the best as well. So um, we ended up doing, starting at the back of the car, um, we did a, a Ford 8.8 um, rear diff swap, um, which uses the aluminum um, 
Ford 88 rear diff from a Ford Explorer, like 2010, 2008, 2010, something like that Ford Explorer. Um, that's a, an aluminum housing diff, um, which is only like three or four pounds heavier than the stock S2 diff. Um, but that requires us to, to have like a, a new, uh, some carrier adapters to actually get it into the car. Um, and then new axles and, and things like that. So same hubs on the outside, uh, custom axles uh, at, at the back of the car. And then the Ford 88 um, diff that has like some um, generic brand carbon LSD in it. Interesting. So you, you, you do the swap to get some um, kind of robust uh, mechanicals out of the uh, differential, but the, yep. the LSD inside the differential case is not particularly special. Right. Not right now it's not. Um, and, and so we did that um, in 2020 and we just got um, a pretty vanilla diff to put in there, make sure everything works. Right. And then we would, you know, the, the goal at the end is to go to an OS Skyken or something like that, that we can put in there. Um, just like the, the S2000 diff had in it that, that we took out. Um, so, so yeah, it's in there for strength right now, but it, it drive the car drives pretty good on that, that diff. It's not like, um, when I'm never driving the car thinking, man, I could, I could do so much better with a real diff that the diff works. Um, so, so I'm not like unhappy with the diff that's in it right now. It, it works. <laughs> and, and so, yeah. And, and it's strong enough and, um, we haven't had, we, we don't have to worry about the diff anymore. Um, and then the transmission. Uh, that we put in is a rear-wheel drive BMW seven-speed dual-clutch transmission. Um, and, and there's two different flavors of that, um, essentially for us. Um, that is a, a low-ratio transmission um, that comes out of um, like a 135, um, a, a Z4, uh, those kinds of cars um, from the, or, or the um, E92 M3. So that, that kind of early, late 2000s, early 2010s um, type cars okay. uh, from BMW. Uh, and, and low ratio means it has a final drive of one-to-one. -one, or not final drive, sorry. Seventh gear is one-to-one. -one. Okay. Um, then there's a long ratio version. Exact same transmission, same case, same... Well, I shouldn't say same case. I don't know for a fact that's the same case. But as far as we're concerned, same transmission, just with different gear set in it. Um, long ratio that came out of the, the F82 M cars, so the M3 and M4. Um, and I think fourth or fifth gear on those is one-to-one. -one. Okay. Um, so between the two transmissions, um, we either have a theoretical top speed of 217 miles an hour or a three, theoretical top speed of like 152 miles an hour. That's or something a like big that. gap. Might, might even be less than that. Maybe like 100. So the, the short ratio box would be like the choice for Gingerman and Autobahn and club tracks, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it, it would be um, if it made that much difference. Um, it, in reality, uh, because you, you just run a different set of gears. So we, I think Gingerman last year, oh, not Gingerman, sorry, Autobahn last year, we did run the short ratio trans and we were just about maxing out seventh gear. And uh, I don't think I hit the rev limiter in seventh, but I got pretty close. Well, that's, uh, I'd um, say that's interesting, right? Because you, the car is at the moment still pretty light on power as far as time attack cars go. 
And so uh, almost certainly if you upgrade power in 2022, uh, even tracks with short straights like Autobahn, you will be maxed out. I hope so. <laughs> I certainly hope so. Um, but yeah, so so what's in the car right now is a long ratio. That's that's kind of our um, end game. Um, but the interesting thing is, so so at the back we've got the the diff. Um, the Ford eight eight diff has the one of the reasons we chose it was because of its weight. It's almost the same weight as a stock S two diff. Uh, number two, there's like a thousand final drive ratios you can get for it. Um, anything from like a a three point one rear end to a five. 11 or something like that so there's a lot of different options and and the thought was well we can you know have a couple of those deaths and and swap those based on track and and um tune the the power band and the top speed for a track using diff um interestingly though the way the dct comes in uh because there's no clutch linkage there's no shift linkage it's it's bolted you've got the drive shaft that gets bolted to the back of it the bell housing gets bolted to the engine, uh, and then you have a big electrical connector. That's all. The, and, and then there's a couple of cooling lines that we put, um, oil cooling lines that we put uh, dry brakes on. Um, Andy is able to get that trans out and back into the car in like 20 minutes on the lift. Which has got to so, be faster than you could do for a diff. Right. So, so our let's tune the car per track went from having different diff ratios from the plethora of diff options we had to we can just swap these two transmissions back and forth with almost uh well no pain for me almost no pain for any at all <laughs> gotcha and so um let's let's kind of bring it up to uh september it's not september january of 21 um that was kind of when uh, the car was swapped and it was running uh, and you and I went to Barber and you had done some testing. And so um, uh, tell me about that kind of first, that first version with the swap in place. Yeah. So um, yeah, January 21, we went to Barber every year we go to Barber to test something on the car. It's a great event. Um, like everyone not, should go, not just, but yeah, I don't want to advertise it because I want to make sure that I can always get a ticket. <laughs> yeah yeah it's not just our car i mean the whole team goes down there to kind of shake down the, the winter stuff that has usually been completed a couple of weeks before but uh over the years on my car that's the first place the the k series ran that's the first place the supercharged k series ran that's the first place the uh wide body ran with the turbo it's you know that that's always like the event we go and, and shake it down uh we took um the the dct down there and it, it it was it had been running on the dyno but but not really running anywhere else was, i think it was the first time I, I actually drove it uh and it was you know at the time it was amazing um that we had this car running and driving um it was all herky-jerky around the parking lot like like you go to i think i don't think i could reverse at that time i don't think we trusted the car to go backwards um, so that event, every time I needed to go backwards, I had like a team of people pushing uh, the car backwards, like out of a pits position to to go down um, to uh, out of the paddock to go down to the track. Um, but it drove once you got on on track and and were driving at speed and under load, it drove pretty well. It felt amazing at the time. Um, downshifts were awkward. 
um, and it would lock the rear wheels on, on downshifts. But especially what all, is that? What is that corner where it's kind of downhill and it's right-handed? Is that eight at Barber? Uh, yes. Yeah, so yeah. Th- yeah. I remember riding with zone. you that specific uh, corner because you're, you're the, the track's kind of falling away from you and you're braking from pretty high speed. When those wheels locked up, uh, you would always need to catch the car in order to be able to make that corner. Yep. Yeah, it, it was, yeah, it, were, it was um, awkward. The way it drove was, was awkward, but it was amazing, right? It was like, I can't believe this is, this is actually working It's for real, us. right? Yep. And so uh, uh, at the time, uh, so I, I think it's important for the listeners, everybody listening to know that um, you couldn't use like BMW factory TCU uh, system. So you had to, just like you would run an aftermarket ECU to control an engine, I think you had to run an aftermarket TCU to, to work with your trans. Tell me about the process of setting that up and, and trying to uh, basically do something that's uh, not probably only been done a handful of times here in the United States. Yeah, at the, at the time, uh, I don't think there was another car in the U.S. running um, a swapped-in uh, DCT. Certainly, there wasn't another one that we were aware of. There were a couple of in Europe. Um, there was uh, one in Scotland, things like that. But, and there were there were three parts that you could go, and there's still three parts that you could go for controlling the trans. Um, there's a company called Max ECU out of Sweden. Um, they basically reverse engineered the CAN bus messaging to the factory TCU. So you could use a factory, leave the, the factory TCU in place um, and use max ECU for your transmission controller and um, engine controller. Uh, the downside to that at the time was you had to use um, an E92 M3 um, transmission and, and E92 M3 shift lever and E92 M3 pedals. That's the only way it would work. I see. Which we, do, we didn't want to do. And then there were two standalone options. There was um, DKG, uh, also out of Sweden, um, and HTG, um, which is out of Poland, and, and HTG is the way we went. And the way both of those work is you, you basically rip out the guts of the, the TCU and the in the transmission and wire um, all the solenoids and clutch controllers and all of that directly into this um, uh, this box that they give you, which is a standalone um, transmission control unit or gearbox control unit. Um, we chose HTG out of Poland purely because they had um, CAN bus messaging um, to talk in and out to the, the GCU and uh, DKG out of Sweden did not. Um, so, so that's, that's basically how we made, how we chose between the two. Got it. Um, both had very limited, um, at the time cars running on them or, or supposedly running on them. Um, but that's how we made our choice. So yeah, we had to, um, uh, yeah, we had to rip out the guts of the, the, um, electronics from the trans and replace them with this, um, ECU, basically GCU, they call it, um, give us controlling it. And... Uh, if I remember, there's really not, it's it's not like you're tuning an ECU in that there is an infinite number of tuners in the United States who can, you can just take your car onto a dyno and just, you know, get the TCU tuned. Um, right. Tell me about the process for learning what to do. 
Um, it was a lot of, of hit and miss, and I'm, I'm kind of speaking for Andy here because he learned the most of it. Um, I I helped a certain amount, but but he really got it mostly figured out. Um, but yeah, you've got you've got a, a whole bunch of different tables. Um, there's nobody in the world other than the manufacturer of, of this GCU um, who was very helpful in, in sharing knowledge and, and things like that and getting it tuned. Um, but but there's nobody really in the world that seemed to understand how to tune these things. So it, it was kind of a case, and there's no base maps either. There's no like, oh, here, load this up, and you at least be able to go and drive like you can with, you know, most modern ECUs. Sure. Load your K-series base map in it, and then you're good to go. Um, it was install this thing and, and, okay, figure out what's next. So you've got to figure out things like um, uh, how... Are we going to? How much pressure are we going to give the clutches to get the car to move and and all of that kind of stuff? Um, and then shifting up shifts, you've got like four or five different tables that you've got to tune to to execute an upshift, um, and the same to execute a downshift. Um, and and kind of the scary thing about it, we, I was lucky because Abby has a dyno. We could do the the first tuning on a dyno. Um, you don't really think about this, but but. Engine ECU, if you do something you're not expecting to do, like you put um, wrong timing values in or, or something like that, um, it's not generally um, the end of the world, right? As long as you don't leave them in there and go into a pull and, and what have you, you're fine. Um, if you're sitting in this car with the engine running and you go and put a bunch of wrong pressure values in the clutch, that car's moving. That car's taking off and, and, and driving. And so it's it's kind of weird in that regard that that you have this thing that might just kind of have a mind of its own oh, yeah. point if you if you type the wrong values in. Well, and and I remember um, you and I talked about it previously, but I think it bears some discussion. Is um, like OEMs put an extraordinary amount of uh, resources and effort into you know tuning cars and making them. Um, you know, uh, very, what's the right word? Like, I guess, easy to drive and plush and comfortable and not violent. Um, little things like take up that, you know, that thing where you're just kind of creeping away at an idle is a, it's like a, a complex, excuse me, a, a complicated, like technical goal, right? Yep. And so yeah. the, I mean, I, I, I would guess that you could say that, you know, you know, you just throw caution to the wind and just make the car violent. But um, mechanical sympathy on a car like that is really important if you want to make sure that you complete events. Right, exactly. And and we had, um, well, first I have um, ever more appreciation for how much goes into the drivability of, um, of OEM cars. And, and I've talked about that before when uh, we went turbo in, in 2020. We spent a long time tuning the drivability of the car, making it behave nicely and partial throttle and, and easy and nice to drive, but just with the engine, right? That, that was, that's been 10 times more so with the transmission. And, and we're still not there 100%, but we're getting there. So uh, I think you had made some changes between that January event, which... I don't recall if the car was survived the entire weekend or if you ended early, but um, then you had one lap coming up. So, so kind of close out what happened 
um, at the Barber event and then help me transition to uh, preparation and driving one lap. Yeah. So we, um, how did that work? So yeah, at, at that first Barber event, um, we had some overheating issues um, at, of the trans. We were overheating the trans. And the reason for that was we had paid no attention to cooling the thing down. Uh, when we went down there, we were, you know, I don't think we we're expecting to make a lap. We just went down there to, to go drive it and see where we we're at. And, and we ended up um, overheating it and getting it super hot, which was a huge win for us. Like, this car was going out and driving multiple laps. That's that's good news. Um, so then we came back, and it was time to, to make this thing work for one lap, like you said. So we got an oil cooler. We ran all the, the cooling stuff, put the, the cooling up front. Um, and then in it's got to have been around this time last year, we took it back down to Barber. Um, Andy and I were racing with uh, Robert Thorne and, and Chris Lewis at Barber in WRL. Um, and they had an HPDE day the day before that race. So we took it down again for that, drove it down there um, to, to test it that race, see if our cooling fixes had worked. And it made it like a lap and a half, and we broke um, something in the transmission, just just broke, and, and we had no drive, and that was it for the, the rest of that event. And so I got, I, I yeah, trailed it 1,600 miles and got maybe a mile and a half of actually driving the car which was disappointing, um, to say the least. I believe it. Um, and then after so, that... So, did... so you bring the car back, and what did you find? Uh, the, but essentially, it's the input shaft on the transmission. It goes to... Um, the input shaft is, is molded to a uh, what we call a, a clutch cover that covers the, the two clutch baskets. And that looks like um, it's an engineered point of failure in, in it. So um, it's a stamped steel or stamped aluminum. I think it's stamped steel um, cover that, that has a bunch of holes in it um, and provides the drive from the engine to the rest of the transmission. Um, so and so that you, th you think it's designed to be a, a component that fails first? I think so, yeah. It, it certainly it looks like it has been engineered with um, some weakness to it. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's probably to prevent it breaking other portions of the, the transmission when those clutches slam together or something like that. Gotcha. Um, so we found that it failed. Um, we then took it to a test day at Gingerman, um, around, I think it was like April 5th. We took it to that. Which um, is kind of a dicey time to go to Gingerman. I remember that yeah. now years ago, my preparation for one lap, uh, right around that time. Yeah. There's some events that you can do. Um, Gingerman in early April could almost like has high probability of just being completely frozen. Yep. And it, and it wasn't, it was beautiful. Um, it was, I think it was like mid fifties, high fifties. It, it was, was beautiful. Perfect. Um, car drove generally fine. Um, I'm pretty sure it went out for every session. It got stuck in gear a couple of times where it just stopped responding to shift requests, just got, was stuck in like fourth gear or fifth gear or something. Um, but drove generally okay. Um, we're still getting hot, so we're still dealing with that. Um, but then, then we took it to NCM, and NCM was kind of our make-or-break um, event. That was like the 15th of April, um, and one lap was the the first week of May. 
So it was our make or break event um, was was going to MCM and it drove just well enough for us not to say we need to figure out a different plan, but badly enough that we went into one lap thinking I'm going to be like I was telling people at work, I'll probably be home Wednesday. Uh -huh, yeah. So so it was it was that weird situation where it's like yeah we should try it but we're not having a ton of confidence in this thing um so and and i forget what really the reasons for i don't remember it getting stuck in gear at all um and it made it through the end of the weekend just didn't drive very nicely i don't think maybe it was getting hot things like that i don't, I don't exactly remember why we're on that like we're still on the fence, but leaning to the we should run it side of the fence. Um, but but that's where we were. Going into one lap, it was like, we don't have a ton of confidence in this thing. Um, we had Paul from Boosted Films who had agreed to um, come and follow us and, and document the whole trip. Um, and, and we kind of I, were feeling bad that we we're going to waste his whole week. Um, coming out there and, and following us, and, and then it's just going to be, well, there they are, broken on the side of the road. Let's all go home. Well, that's a pretty good story anyway. <laughs> yeah. So um, then we took it on one lap. Um, and, and through all this time, um, we've kind of neglected everything else on the car. So we turned the power way down. To, we, before we did the DCT, we were running a little over 500 wheel hours. Um, we turn it, the power down to like 400-ish, a little less than 400 probably. Um, ran it through one lap, and it had a couple of hiccups here and there, but um, like it got stuck, it overheated, got stuck in gear at Eagles Canyon on, on like the third day. Uh, Andy cut holes in the bumper and, and alleviated that. We had a dumb issue where um, the, um, the switch, the brake pedal switch, um broke so the gcu um excuse me the gcu didn't know uh if you were pushing the brake or not i thought you were always pushing the brake and the brake lights were always on so it would never go into that take-up mode to start moving the car because you can't move the car when you're pushing the brake so we we were literally you know 10 yards outside of eagles canyon uh with this car just free revving and not driving at all not knowing what was wrong with it until we figured out that the, the actual switch connected to the brake pedal uh, was broken. And so it always thought we were on the brakes. Um, and then we had some other issues uh, just with uh, the general heat. Um, the PDM decided to, to shut itself off and protect itself from the heat a couple of times. Um, one of those times was in downtown Dallas in, in the middle of traffic, which I'm I'm sure everyone uh, who cares about that story has probably already heard it, but we got we got stuck downtown Dallas with a car that we could not start, um, literally on and like lane three of a five-lane highway at a red light, um, with all of the, the very courteous and very considerate and understanding Dallas drivers saying, "Oh, these poor guys, they've got their race car out there, so we'll give them give them a little bit of slack for holding up our day." <laughs> yeah. That, that, um, <laughs> Did anyone brandish a firearm? Nobody brandished a firearm. We ended up getting it limped into, um, like, like the downtown Dallas Art Museum's drop-off and loading zone. Uh, and we had, and I was basically, so the issue with the PDM at that time was it wasn't listening to messages from the keypad, the CAN bus keypad. 
so we couldn't turn like you couldn't hear the the turn everything on turn everything off and the starter motor button um it wasn't getting those messages so i was we we're in there i'm on my laptop trying to reprogram the pdm to use the steering wheel buttons which are not CAN bus buttons but physical uh analog buttons um to to manage all of our critical um inputs um and the security guards are coming around saying you can't park there and we're like yeah i mean does it really look like we're trying to park here um and and so she went off and came back five minutes later and she's still like you can't park here and and you've got to go right now and i don't exactly know what she was going to do about it if we couldn't move the car um but but she was more forceful at that point saying yeah you you guys have got to go um and luckily that's when we wrapped it all up got on the way got out in the middle of downtown in the middle of dallas traffic and and then sat in the freeway desperately trying to not overheat the car sounds fantastic oh it was a blast so we're gonna do it again this year um because we didn't get enough of it apparently well okay so uh the the car runs in pretty okay um condition for the rest of one lap and uh, by some miracle, you make it back to um, South Bend. And yeah. I, I don't remember, uh, honestly, I don't even remember if I was there or not. I feel like I was there, but I'm not you, sure. You weren't there. You, you, I was messaging you. And, um, it's, and I, then, the, then I the guess it was the first year th- of many that I had not uh, went to the finish. Yep. Yeah, that's what it was. Um, and anyway, we finished second overall, which was amazing. The car ran great the rest of the time. On track, it ran awesome. Um, off track, uh, on the street, it was a bit of a nightmare, um, but but it got us there. Um, and and yeah, we finished second overall. So we were behind Tom um, and Steve Loudon and the, the ZR1 um, and ahead of um, Robert Thorne and Chris Lewis, um, who were in third in their Z06. So, so the amazing part of that is it was all ASM affiliated people on the podium. On the podium, that's cool. It was super cool. It was really special. Um, and I remember uh, at least hearing about it. I don't remember if we talked about it, but Andy, um, I mean, at this at this time, it is fair to say that you guys have almost certainly put in thousands of hours. Uh, not only working on the mechanicals of the DCT, but the programming and, and troubleshooting and all of this stuff. And if I yep. remember, someone told me that it was kind of a uh, a surprisingly emotional moment for Andy when you guys finished. Uh, it was actually a Gingerman. Um, oh, okay. So, so I'm sure it was, the last event was Gingerman. Um, and Gingerman was supposed to be my day. So we, we'd always kind of talked about the, the two years we've done this, um, unless there's rain or something like that, where it makes sense to swap drivers, it, it never made sense for us to, on one track, you do the morning, I'll do the afternoon. Cause then you're both kind of learning track and, and you don't get that. Okay. I know where I'm going and I've got my rhythm kind of a thing. Um, we got to the last day, got to Gingerman. That was, that was my day. Um, and it throughout the week, there've been a couple of things. So, so day one um, was Memphis. Memphis's road course runs down uh, part of the drag strip. It rained a whole bunch that day, so they couldn't use the drag strips. We weren't doing um, the full laps. We were just doing point to point. 
that was Andy's day. He missed out on the road course and just did some point-to-point stuff. Um, so we got to and end up getting to Gingerman, and in the morning I said, "Okay, you get. I'm going to drive the afternoon. I wanted to drive Gingerman. I'm going to drive the afternoon, but you have to drive in the morning." And Andy being Andy, no, 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 it's your day. You got to drive. And I said, "No." And we had a, a little bit of a standoff, and I don't know um, how real the standoff was. It's day six of of one lap. Everybody's a little bit um, on sure. edge. Yeah, uh, yeah. But basically, I said to him. And I meant it. Uh, I'm not getting in the car in the morning. So if we don't, if we miss it, that's on you. And he kind of said the same thing to me. <laughs> anyway, he ended up getting in the car and dominated, like like took first place over Tom by a bunch. And uh, he got out of the car. Out, he came in, got out of the car, and just kind of looked at it. And and you could just see him swell with emotion. And I think a lot of it was pride in what he has done. A lot of it was relief in the fact that that car had actually almost made it now. Um, but but yeah, it, it kind of got to him a little bit, and um, it was it was a moment to see that, um, and and certainly was a moment for him, and, and one of those uh, inflection points, or well, not really inflection point, but but an important moment kind of in the history of the build of that car. Sure. Because yeah, he that. I think it had exceeded expectations at that point, and uh, he was pretty proud of himself. <laughs> no doubt. Um, okay, so now you're you're kind of riding high uh, on a car, following one lap, and that puts you kind of in the middle of May last year, uh, which yep. means that the Grid Life Track Battle season, uh, for which you run the Street Modified class, is is kind of also happening in parallel. I think probably the NCM event was prior to that. I don't remember yeah. if you were present for that or not. I don't think that you were because it butted up too yeah. close to one lap. No, but, we were there. We we took the car to NCM, and and that was our on the fence event. Uh, oh, that that's right. Event. That's right. Yeah. Um. So you now the car is back. You're back in Wisconsin, and you need to regroup a little bit to prepare for the rest of the race season for which you're you're running Grid Life Track Battle. What yep. what happens? So we yeah we come back. We've just done three thousand miles on the street. Uh, 3,500 miles on the street in this car. Um, we've done, um, you know, two track days a day for a whole week, two track events a day for a whole week. Um, and, and the cars survive. Nothing's broken and we're all good. I think it was like two weeks after uh, after one that we had a track day picnic. Uh, then we had Gingerman coming up. Then we had um, Audubon, Alpine Horizon, um, what was after Alpine Horizon? Maybe another Gingerman event? Yeah. I think there was, was there two Gingerman events last year. There were, yep. Yep. So so we had those five events coming up that we were hitting. Boom, boom, boom. The car broke at every single one of those five events. A, a transmission failure on every single one of them, um, which was uh, beyond frustrating. We went a whole season not finishing an event. Now, it never failed on the first lap, so we always got at least a session. And oh, Holland Park was in there as well. Oh yeah. Um, and you so went to Road events. America then too, didn't you? Yeah, it didn't break at Road America. So so Holland Park was the last of the, the run of six events, where now we podiumed every one of those events except one, and I don't remember which one it was that we didn't podium, but we got enough track time that we podiumed every single event, which was still. That, that that was what gave us a little glimmer of hope that even at 400 wheel horse, 
Uh, this car was still fast while it was not broken. Um, <laughs> but it broke every single. We pushed the. We literally pushed the car onto the trailer every single one of those events. Um, Were you having trying, the same failures each time, or was it uh, like one freak thing after another? Uh, there were two. The, so that clutch basket failure, that or the clutch cover failure that we had at um, uh, at Barber, we had that at least twice, maybe three times more. Um, we had an electronics failure at one event at, at um, Gingerman, where like some wiring inside, some of that wiring that goes on inside the transmission, that kind of got fried somehow. We don't know how. Um, and led to it reading crazy temperatures. I thought it was like 1,000 degrees inside the trams and, and just wouldn't work. Um, that was one of the Gingerman events. Um, we had another event where it just wouldn't go into gear for some reason. We didn't know why. Um, but it was all transmission-related stuff. Um, the most common failure was um, that clutch cover issue where we're just breaking that thing. And, and we think... Um, the reason we are breaking it is because of the harmonics that come off the four cylinder, especially a K24. It's a very buzzy, um, a little vibrating yeah. engine, and and that was sending that that through the weak um, portion of this clutch cover, um, and was just fatiguing it. Um, and we think the reason we didn't have the issue at one lap was because we limited RPMs at one lap. We, we were shifting at like 72, 7,300 RPM at one lap, whereas with grid life, uh, we're going all the way up to 8,800. Got it. So we think that's why we started experiencing the failures um, with grid life, whereas we didn't on one lap when it's all, you know, you, you turn everything down a little bit of one lap to survive the event because you have to. Right, right. So um, you... You, you have a tough year in 21 at grid life tough being that like, yeah, you podiumed at every event, but you probably felt like, uh, there was always more, right? Yeah. We didn't show our best, um, really at all. And, and in this time, you know, we're, um, even at, at 500 wheel horse was the max we can push those engines to, um, before they, they just start not being able to take it anymore. So, um, as all this trans stuff is is going on, I'm kind of prepping. And five, 500 wheel horse is just not enough in street mod compared to, uh, or at least to the front of street mod. So um, we live I'm in a, with, we live in a crazy time. We live in a very crazy time. So I, I kind of worked with Ron at the start of last year um, in parallel um, to develop. Uh, he or he built um, a new engine for me. I, it's kind of a hybrid K20 K24 engine that that he built for me. Um, and then we worked with Garrett, uh, a little bit. They, they kind of reached out to us and said, Hey, if you ever need, you know, to be working or, or want to test some turbos, um, let us know. And so they sent us a, a bigger turbo than we're using G30, uh, 770. Um, so we kind of got those on the shelf nice. waiting to go into the car, but we don't want to do it until we get some reliability in the car, which just didn't happen. I mean, remember 2020 after Audubon plan was we go down for four weeks we come back to the next event ppir with dct trends and, and everything's good in the world right here we are we've spent 15 months later ish 15 months and and we've got a car that can't make it through a time attack event and and a time attack event everything goes well for us 
we're talking about 25 miles of of total driving that that like that's all it's got to do is it's got to survive if it survives 25 miles it goes back on the trailer and we're all good and it did everything we asked of it so it's it's not like um we're we're really endurance testing this thing this thing is failing pretty much immediately um so to get rid of those harmonics um we put uh, or we work with a company out of Poland uh, called Dami Works, and they um, adapted a dual mass flywheel um, to the the K series for us. And and to um, it's actually a Honda. Uh, it's out of a, a Honda Accord diesel in Europe. This dual mass flywheel, and they made an adapter that goes to the the transmission side. Uh, we had that on for Heartland Park. Everything seemed fine, um, except I started hearing this weird buzzy noise um, towards the end. So we kind of shut it down. It sounded like it's coming from the flywheel. We thought we broke the, the flywheel. Um, I was kind of nervous about running a you know a diesel flywheel that's supposed to spin at 4,500 RPM at redline, oh, sure. um, all the way up to 8,600. Um, turns out that wasn't what it was. It, it was that the flywheel itself, the Honda um flywheel was not the mating surface with the crank wasn't machined completely flat um so that kind of wiggled and loosened up the flywheel bolts and and kind of used the hammer effect to destroy the crank for us great um so so it just took an engine out there um so we got another basic replacement 400 horse um engine back in uh and the got everything cranked down tight and we thought we we're pretty good for road america uh took it to road america at the end of the year ran it we were shifting at like 7500 again um for road america but it made every session at road america and I, I drove back on the trailer that road america was the first event after one lap of america so road america in october this year right october 5th yeah something, something like that. that last year was the first time that car drove itself onto the trailer at an event since one lap of America the first week of May. That's the year, the year, the year prior. No, 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 the same year, sorry. Yep, same year. Um, so that was, that's that's the summer we had, uh, was pushing this thing onto the trailer, uh, basically. Um, so we get through in America. It's not been our best year. It's not been, you know, uh, what we wanted it to be. Um, I don't think we placed... I don't think we were, I think we were fourth or fifth in the championship overall, which um, not where we want to be. Um, so we decided that with the, the plan was over this winter that just passed, we were going to um, tear the car apart, uh, redo a bunch of wiring, uh, move the PDM inside the car to somewhere else um, so that it wouldn't have those heat issues that, that we experienced in Dallas. Um figure out cooling for the engine and, and the transmission up front, um, get that cooling all sorted out, um, and then have it rebuilt for this season. Um, but we wanted to go torture test it first, you know, go and, and let's make sure I drove on the car, on the trailer at Road America with the dual mass flywheel. That's only one event. That doesn't really prove a whole lot of sure. anything. So um, we decided to take it to NCM. Um, there's an NCM, uh, Binge Tokyo Day NCM, first week of uh, November, yep. I think it was. Uh, so we took it down there, got it out on track. First flying lap, literally the first flying lap 
a broken axle. Son of a bitch. And so, you know, we still didn't prove anything, and we were running into winter, and everything was a nightmare. So we didn't get our stress test in. Um, which brings us to we went through the spring. We took it to Barber. Barber, it, it survived. Um, got stuck in gear a couple of times, but generally survived um, Barber. But I was still being tentative with it, not really pushing it very hard. Next event, uh, super lap battle with um, with GTA, and that ended up being our torch test for the car. Um, so took it out to Coda for what essentially was a glorified HPD for us. Um, so um, you know we we the rule differences between GTA and Grid Life mean we're unlimited for. In unlimited class for them, whereas we were uh, street mod for uh, grid life. Um, so we're not expecting to be placing anywhere. We're not expecting to be competitive in class. Uh, it's their rule book, their, their playground. I'm not going to be arguing with them that I should be in a class that I'm not in. Um, the only thing I, I talked to them about was, hey, you know, if you put me in, in unlimited, that's fine. But in, in unlimited, you guys require a cage and a couple of other things. I think it's just a cage that I don't have. And and I don't want to spend all this money on a ticket and all this money um, getting the car down there for you guys to say you don't have the right safety equipment so you can't come play. Yeah. Right. So, so that was the only sort of discussion I had with them around, you know, I, I don't care what class you put me in. This is glorified HPD. I'm, I'm fine with whatever it is. Um, but Please don't kick me out because of safety. And and I will. I'm not going to do the all oh, one well, and limited ultra on a set of Hoosiers. I'm going to run it 100 uh, street mod legal. So uh, the way that Adam and I handle this with Grid Life is that there are scenarios where a car may be classed up because of small issues like that. Um, but if they are essentially otherwise compliant for their lower class, um, we would hold them to that standard. So. You know, if if for some reason you need to take your street mod car and run it in unlimited, as long as you're attempting to run it in street mod spec, uh, the the specific requirements of unlimited uh, could be excused. Is that yeah. is that kind of how it worked? Um, I'm not entirely sure because they said um, Tony through tech, he he said something more specific than this. He, he spent probably a minute. Um, talking to me about that but what i heard was yeah it's no problem and i kind of stopped listening ah. um when i got my yeah it's no problem and and because i'm very much of the belief you know stop talking when you hit, get the answer you want <laughs> so i got the answer i wanted and and i kind of stopped listening um i'll stop paying attention so I, but i think it was along those lines you know if you come out here and you run like a 203 um we've got problems but if you're running 220 then all's fine. Um, and, and that's exactly what we did. We weren't going to be running unlimited times. Right. So uh, we were on... you, you, you're kind of torture testing the car at this point. How many sessions were there? I th probably like six or seven, something like that. Did you run, was... try to run the whole, uh, the whole session or was it, was it kind of conventional in your time attack approach? Uh, it was a conventional time attack approach. There were eight sessions, um, four on Saturday, four on Sunday. Um, and so we went out uh, every session except one. 
um, and did at least one hot lap every session. I attempted two hot laps every session. If the second hot lap was uh, not going well, I'd sometimes abort that. Um, but yeah, we went out, uh, ran well. Uh, I think my first lap out, I've never been to Coda before. My first lap out was a 221.5, um, and my best lap ended up being a 219.5, so improved by uh, two seconds. So I was pretty happy that that I was pretty on it right from the start. And uh, um, in that setup, you're running at 400 or 500? 400. Okay, so... Uh, compared to other cars in street mod, you're probably down 150 at least. Yeah, I talked to um, Amir, who ended up winning street class um, with a killer time. I mean, he was like 213.5. Um, and I want to say he said he was at 650, I think. I forget what he said. Um, but 600, 650, something like that. Um, Jackie, I don't know what power he's at, but it's a lot. Um, and he was second in street class. Uh, I think we would have been third. Um, I don't have the results from. I do have the results in front of me. Uh, yeah, we would have been we would have been third in street class if we were legal in street class. Um, so, so using the the comparison, I'd, I'd be pretty happy with um, with third. Yeah, Jackie ran a two fifteen zero. Amir ran a two thirteen eight. So fast. Um, Crazy fast, but but so the difference is, um, uh, I think both Jackie and Amir um, down the long straight were hitting two oh one two sixty five one hundred sixty five miles an hour. Um, I know from his video he's at one hundred sixty five miles an hour, and actually uh, that's the top of his top gear. Yeah, so he's, he's like out of, of gear. I, I heard him hit the rev limiter yep. there. Yeah, he so he's pedaling it for like I don't know. It feels like about. A third of the straight is probably only maybe a quarter of the straight. Um, so yeah, he's he's at one one sixty five for a significant portion of that straight. Let's say um, we hit one fifty on that straight. Um, I was also lucky enough to um, to to kind of compare um, Amir's video to my video and and using non scientific uh means so which means my stopwatch and using cracks in pavement to to time times and things like that um from from places like turn one the exit of turn one there's a pavement change so the exit of turn one pavement change to the um curb on the inside of of turn nine uh we're only down a tenth of a second um on him there whereas the exit of turn 11 to the braking zone of turn 12, we lose 1.8 seconds. That's incredible. So, yeah. So the, the good news there is the car's like right there. It, it, it needs reliability. It needs power. And it's right there with those guys, um, which, which makes me pretty happy. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure you needed a pick me up at least a little bit, right? It's been a challenging a number of months and, yeah, um, I, I I'm sure as much as uh, you you appreciate Jackie as a competitor, it's got to be a little bit challenging to see, you know, him with the Supra seemingly uh, like not struggling with that car much at all. Like it seems to just go to events and drive. And anymore, um, that's true. 2020, he had plenty of challenges with the car. That's he true. had he had a year like we had. Yeah. Um, but it is, it's disheartening. Um, it's disheartening uh, 
regardless of what those guys are doing, it's disheartening to to push the car onto the trailer at the end of the, of the event. That's that's kind of embarrassing, yeah. um, and it's the the I can apologize to everybody in the whole world that that's found me um, after I've been towed off track. Um, You're not a happy guy. There's nothing I hate more than having to answer what happened. Like like it just. It just gets up inside me when somebody somebody comes over and is like, hey, what happened? And it's not because they're asking me what happened. It's, it's because I've got to answer that question. I hate it. I hate it with everything I have. I'll keep um, that in mind. I, <laughs> uh, so I'm generally, um, I generally answer with I don't know. Um, and, and oftentimes that, that's true. Like I, I, we suspect what happened, um, but I don't necessarily know what happened. But yeah, I hate it. It with everything, um, so that that part's embarrassing. Um, the seeing Amir and Jackie um, five and a half six seconds ahead of us um, at Coda that was also disheartening. Until I I dug into Amir's um, video, who Amir, by the way, uh, and Jackie both fierce competitors, both the nicest people on earth, um, both super awesome people. Um, uh, who I I love competing with and and want to see those guys have all the success they have, um, but I want I want to make them work for it. Um, but yeah, after looking at the video, I'm 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 much more um, uh, buoyant about where we are and where the performance of the car is, and and if we can get the straight line speed um, to be comparable with the, those guys, um, and I can drive the car well. Um, which is is something that that should always be a requirement. Um, then I think we're right there with them in terms of um, our potential, performance potential. So uh, you will probably disagree with me, but I'll I'll ask. Given that you had a pretty good performance last year at One Lap of America, given that you finished second, um, and that the car seemed to do pretty well. Um, are you planning to do the built engine before one lap or are you going to run it in the similar condition as you ran last year? Because I, uh, I'll ask because I, I don't know. I don't know at that power level, if you will have enough oomph to win. Um, we will not be running the built engine at one lap. Um, we'll be going at the, the current power level. Um, we, um, I mean, we we had one or two issues last year uh, at one lap that knocked us down a little bit. Um, and going into our run at the dry skid pad, um, we held our um, fortune in our own hands. Um, Tom and, and Steve ran before us on, on the dry skid pad. And based on their results, we had the opportunity to take the win, um, the overall win going into our run on the dry skid pad. So the, the potential is undoubtedly there uh, for us to take a win. We also think this is uh, a very super K um, friendly route that we're, we're taking. We're going to Barber this year. We're going to uh, Heartland Park this year. We're going to Hallett. Um, all of those tracks are tracks that kind of suit our car. Sure. Um, so... We don't think we need the power. Uh, we think the risk of running um, a built engine, and, and this is this is nothing against anybody who's um, built the engine, 
It's just I trust a factory Honda motor, um, factory Honda Honda built engine more than I trust um, a a an engine an engine, engine that's built for power. Yeah, and and that's that's it. Doesn't matter who built it. Um, it doesn't matter you know what it is. Fact, factory stuff is built to last, um, and and so we just trust that more. Gotcha. Um, so I guess then you've got just a, a few months or yeah, it's, it's February now. And that means you'll have a few months before one lap. What do you, in, in the remaining few minutes, what do you need to do before you leave for one lap? Um, drive the car, hopefully. Um, well, tomorrow I'm going up to uh, the shop and we're going to start working on um, re rewiring some of the car and moving that PDM out of the, basically it sits right where all the heat from the engine bay comes into the car. Um, so that's why it's getting hot and op uh, overheating. Um, so we're moving that. Um, I think Andy wants to do a couple of um, uh things around the turbo and, and the um, heat management around the turbo that he wants to deal with. Um, hopefully do some cooling stuff on the front of the car. Um, but that's, that's basically it. And then um, I, I think I remember you still had a, a you wanted to do a couple of things on the differential as well. Cause you were, um, well, I don't know what the right word is. It was like coming out of the, like the, the breather tube or something. Yeah. Yeah. The, the diff gets hot and um, the, it's spraying a lot of oil around. There's, we actually did develop a, a pretty good vibration in the drive line um, at the end of um, at the end of SLB. I, I so I did the one thing that I am very critical of other people from doing for doing, um, and I, I put a car on track that I wasn't 100% confident in um, at, at SLB. So the very last lap of SLB, we got into what's called the shootout, and and basically at Coda, I was given the opportunity to take one hot lap. Of Coda all by myself, um, and I kind of had this vibration in the car that I wasn't uh, totally confident in, but that that was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. And anyway, the vibration got really bad um, through that that last flying lap, um, to the point where if that was our first session on Sunday, I probably wouldn't have run the car again. It, it was pretty bad. Um, so I think that's in the diff, and I think it's from us just neglecting the diff and just keep on running it, and, and every session it gets hot and sprays a little bit of oil out. Um, so we've got a new diff coming for it um, to replace that one, and then the one that's in the car will go and get rebuilt and probably become the primary competition diff, and, and the new one I've got coming will become our spare because we sure. don't have spares. That, that's another thing that... Um, with, as we've gone through all of this and, and put more and more custom parts on the car, don't have spares for those parts. Those are right. it, like the axle that broke at MCM. If that had been stock S2 axle, no problem. We maybe would have missed the rest of that session and then been out the next session. Custom axle, weekend's done. Um, so we we've we kind of have to build up a spares package again um, for this car as we kind of get these parts proven. Right, um, you've, got, as well. you've got a Frankenstein car, so you need to bring everything's one off. So you just need to bring it with you just in case, because saving a weekend, um, I mean, it, it is expensive, uh, to go to Coda for, you know, five days, right. Between drive down and drive back. Uh, you've got the event and hotels and all that stuff. I bet, I bet it's fair to say that that weekend was probably between 2,500 and $5,000 personal cost. Right. So to, <laughs> 
that was a ten thousand dollar weekend. For okay. Me. Um, between the the um, getting the the ticket, uh, ticket was sixteen hundred bucks for that that event. Good grief. Um, the transport to get the car down there, um, fuel costs, consumable costs. Um, now I flew down there. I rented a car when I got there, and, and I had my family fly down with me. So I sure. Had, uh, my mom, my wife, my daughter. So all of that stuff adds up. Um, to it being a, a very expensive weekend, but, but to to close up shop early on Saturday morning because you had a component failure and you didn't have a spare uh, makes the whole trip kind of not worth it. Right, exactly, and and you have to buy the replacement anyway. Um, Andy always says, you know, it, it only actually costs you money when when you break it. So having spares is fine because we can always sell spares. Sure, um, but. But when we break, like an axle, if I break an axle, I have to buy an axle. Uh, I may as well buy it before I break it than after. Sure, that makes sense. So um, we're we're now at the end of February. There are probably a few time attack events coming up between now and and one lap. Are you doing anything before one lap, or is this is this it? Uh, nope, we'll be at AMP. Um, so the car's going to AMP to run with you guys, and then it will also be at NCM to run with you guys. Fantastic. Um, I've and- never driven at AMP, but I've heard it's very fun, and I imagine that the the handling dynamics of your car will be well-suited for that track. Uh, I've also never driven at AMP. Um, Tom describes it as if Spa was an autocross. I don't know what that it's- means. So spa, the racetrack spa. Yeah, I I know what the like, but that yeah. that. So if you took if you took spa and shrunk it down to be autocross sized, okay, that's that's what it's like apparently. Lots of elevation, lots of twisties. Oh, um, I see. A so, lot of fun. Uh, well, and and I think the like the curb weight of your car would position it well, even though it may not have make as much power as as a car like Jackie's. I have to imagine that being. Uh, being a little bit more tossable would be beneficial. Hopefully, hopefully it will be. We'll, we'll certainly um, find out. Um, hopefully we'll be competitive. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm happy that Jackie told me at the end of last year that, that the Supra might be kind of being put on the shelf and only brought out for special occasions. That seems to have changed. And it seems like he's coming out to a lot of events and I'm, I can't, tell you how happy i am for that because <laughs> uh, because i want to try and beat him this year I, I we got embarrassed everybody in street mark got embarrassed by him last year and this year i want to go beat him <laughs> yeah, that's um that's a bold goal but uh i i think that probably wraps us up for this episode of slip angle uh, i want to thank you for your time and uh, wish you the best of luck uh in 2022 uh, the show is, is brought to you by uh, Apex Pro. Uh, if you go to apextrackcoach.com, you can buy uh, their new Gen 2 units. Uh, I think the ASM crew is is starting to mess around more with those, and they've got some really unique features, including some live telemetry capability that I think is just neat. Um, additionally, uh, FCP Euro, where all parts you buy are guaranteed for life. And then finally, uh, a new supporter of the show, uh, Fields Auto Works, uh, who... Uh, builds uh custom track cars uh which are really really cool their their cardinal is a vehicle that you may have seen uh, at the track already and they've got some new stuff as well 
but they do custom track cars and they do uh, basically arrive and drive type race prep stuff. So uh, if you're interested in that, check out Fields Auto Works, Google it and uh, talk to Rob and he'll get you sorted out. So thanks for being on the show and uh, good luck in 2022. Thank you. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the Pits of Grid Live to say hello. Hello.